Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is much different than what we usually do. Today's conversation was recorded during our last full-time strength staff meeting, and I wanted to hear their thoughts on the current issues with the strength and conditioning profession. This topic stems from episode 61, when I talked through my thoughts on education and a multi-level certification system for strength and conditioning coaches. We had no set agenda going into this meeting, and we talked for about one hour. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do as well. So, originally I had made the podcast episode about concerns with our profession, issues with our profession, where I feel like it stems from, to be a college strength and conditioning coach, the requirements are nowhere near as standardized or strict as it is for athletic training or dietitians. My main point being is you just have to have a bachelor's degree in any sort of emphasis. It could be marketing, journalism, exercise phys. It could be strength and conditioning, but that's not a requirement. And then you just have to pass a certification exam through the NSCA or the CSCCA. And then all of a sudden you're just dubbed the strength coach. And I feel like that's part of why our profession is in the spot it is now where people are struggling to... Um, get into the field, advance in the field, get promotions, uh, increase their their salary and all those things. And I kind of gave my thoughts on what I think would be a good direction moving forward. But I also know that there are a lot of other reasons why we are in the spot that we are in as a strength and conditioning profession. And I wanted to open it up to you guys to hear your thoughts, bounce ideas off each other, maybe do some problem solving, but I'll open the floor to you guys. Okay, so I wanna start off by, I think bringing up the elephant in the room. I think that if we look at our program as a whole, uh, I feel like all of our numbers have went down in probably the past five years. What would you say, Mr. Lock? <coughs> what do you mean like, numbers? Intern, like for interns, like, applying for the job you know like I I would say that they probably have like if we look at last year when we got you know eight people there was only I think ten people that actually really applied that were halfway decent and when you start looking at that you're like okay why are the why are they not applying for an internship and I think that there's so many other resources across the the country and across the world that they can get better jobs at and make more money with minimal requirements or the requirements that Spurlock's talking about with like having just a bachelor's degree and a, and a normal certification. That's where I, I think it starts and it with is the numbers that we're getting from interns and people not applying for the job. That's where it starts. As we all know, when we grew up, when we were young strength coaches becoming young interns, that's where you had to start is getting a couple internships before you came a GA, then after a GA, then you become a full-time assistant and then you, you start you know moving up the ladder. Uh, but if those numbers aren't coming in with the interns, then our field is not growing. So you, you know? feel like there's less young strength coaches that are yet fewer professionals that are wanting to get into the field of strength and conditioning. I, I think so. And I, just looking at our numbers and, and keeping you know track of our Excel file, I would say that the numbers are way down. I remember when we had 25 people apply and they were quality people and it'd be really, a, you know, Hey, we, we can narrow this down but now I think it's like if you can find a couple that's really good you know but are they the most quality people sometimes probably not but you're trying to fill in numbers you know to get the help I think that combined with let's say even 10 years ago I feel like our internship program was one of the few quality ones as well so now I feel like like what Metzger established when she went to Clemson and now she's at Tennessee and what BMAX establishing at uh, Pitt, there's more quality internship programs out there. So if the numbers are fewer and there's more quality programs that somebody could go to, I think that's, that, that's why we're seeing less and less people apply for ours specifically. Yeah, I think a big thing of it is like, the internship's always free, so like you have to do it for free. Like I know coming out of college, there was, was me and about four or five other friends who wanted to be strength coaches and 
they found out they would have to do a free internship, and that kind of like like was a done deal after that. They were like, I can't afford to do that. I got lucky to where I could come home to Lexington, Kentucky, and it was COVID, so I got to pretty much live at home. So I got I got very lucky to where I had I had like a stable environment where I could stay. I didn't have to pay for housing while also not making any kind of money. And I think nowadays like you lose a lot of people with that free internship because you get people who can never even start in the field because they can't afford to start in the field. So I think that takes away from a big thing. Like I have some friends who they're now high school football coaches and they were like they did internships with me at Hanover like we coached together and they were great coaches probably better than me back then but they never got to progress because they couldn't afford to actually do a free internship and they couldn't find one that they could actually do because they lived in the middle of nowhere Indiana where there was no school and can we think of any other profession in athletics or anywhere else out in the world where the standard progression is you get your college degree then you have to go work for free before you might get paid uh, $10 an hour. Exactly. So that was like, even me coming out of college, my two things that I remember looking at was like, I wanted to be either a coach or I wanted to be a firefighter, which was a weird thing. But in Lexington, a firefighter, they send you through school and you make 40K a year while you're going through school to be a firefighter. Where here, I wasn't really going through school. I was just not getting paid anything. Made the right decision. Love, love where I'm at. But like, I know that's a big deterrent in our field. And like, definitely turns a lot of people my age away from it. I think the other thing to go along with not getting paid a lot is just the hours you have to work too. Like you're up here for 6 a.m. lifts in the summer we get here at five in the morning and you're, you leave at what time? So it's just a long, a lot of long days to not get paid and young kids like to not get paid and work those hours. It's just probably a barrier to getting good young professionals in the field. Which I don't think people are afraid to like work hard, but to that point, even within just the fitness industry itself, like putting this into the fitness industry. Like when I did my master's degree and I taught classes for just exercise science. So people, some people were strength conditioning and some people went any other various way. And those other ways are growing. Like it's, easy, it's easier to market yourself, it's easier to do things. And the more of those grow, the more we're gonna get left in the dust where it's like, well, if I work 10 hours, you know, over here, personal training or, you know, for Exos or doing this. And 10 years ago, Exos probably paid this much and now they pay way more. Whereas 10 years ago, this job probably paid exactly the same or something like that, an entry level position, or maybe a, a little bit of an increase. But we're even seeing that in the conversations we have around the office where what can we put together for some kind of, we have a lot of value probably in our ability like we have a, a specific skill we're very good coaches we're very good at like getting a response and things like that so then we go and we me and coach d have that softball camp that we're doing and we see we can make money out of that and even we as strength conditioning coaches who have chosen to do this talk a lot about how it's crazy and we could go make more money doing x y and z so can't imagine what it's like you know if you're 20 one now and just getting out of college and you see all these other options it's like this is becoming a crazier and crazier thing to decide on before we move on i want to just make the connection and i want to see if you guys agree because i talked about this in the last podcast episode i did on these issues but we as a strength and conditioning coach up and coming you get your schooling let's say you even have a degree in uh exercise science you get that education but what is lacking is once you have your degree you're still not prepared to be a strength and conditioning coach you have to get the on the floor coaching experience and hours which is why our profession has so many unpaid jobs for those young strength coaches because they need that experience and then you're able to get your a ga spot then your first assistant gig and so on and so forth but if everything was reconstructed there was a strength and conditioning major at every major university or college and part of your degree is you had to get that experience while getting your undergrad or graduate degree that would eliminate the need for unpaid interns or at least eliminate that that part of the process so then you could get your degree and then you would actually be prepared to take on the roles that you need, the responsibilities that you need to be a strength and conditioning coach. Would we agree? Yeah. So I think it all stems back to just the way that our profession is set up 
and how it needs to be restructured um, from the get-go from the on the university side to make sure that if there is a, a strength conditioning major that they're hitting on that component of that practicum that that on the floor coaching aspect of it because we would all agree that you can take as many classes in you, as you want in anatomy and biomechanics and uh, physiology and everything else that's not going to make you a good strength coach on the floor I wanted I wanted to see with my alma mater because after I left I think it was probably five six years after I'd left central when they added the fourth component to the exercise science degree with strength conditioning so they are one of the first um, besides a couple I think across the country that have added that in um, and I've meant to ask them of like, have they seen an increase with their coaches going out and being successful because of what you're saying? It's for a lot. So I, it'd be interesting to me to hear from them and see if it actually has helped. You know, I would say it has just because of the experience on the floor. Yeah. So well, even then, like, you know, during my undergrad at Washington State, we had the strength conditioning minor program. And even though it wasn't the major, I still majored in sports science. The, almost the entirety of the minor program was focused in on your internship experience. You would work practicum hours in the weight room at Washington State University. So what was really rare is we'd have 20, 25, almost 30 volunteers and interns, and it was a, a huge amount of people, but they were all people who were trying to get through that program. And the biggest thing we all gained was the experience of being on the floor, whether you just you know, sit around and observed, or if you were someone who had been there three, four years and you got a little bit of coaching experience, like you had been in a weight room for three, four years before you even set foot off of graduating, which was huge. I think I'll speak personally is I have my master's in exercise science and kind of like Brent mentioned, like a lot of people in my program weren't getting into strength and conditioning. They were going into like clinical exercise physiology just because it made more money at better hours, whatever the case may be. While I was getting my master's, I had to go, I got my master's at Northeastern. I had to go across Boston into Cambridge to Harvard to actually get practical experience while I was getting my master's. Otherwise, I would have had no practical experience, not known how to manage a group, not really gotten any of like those true coaching skills while I was getting my master's. And I could have walked out with my master's, never knowing how to manage a group <laughs> yeah. of athletes and saying, yeah. I, I have my master's in exercise yeah. science. Yeah. And I think it's important to note for our summer, because I'm somewhat dogging on the fact that our profession, the part of it is that you have to work unpaid for an ex a certain amount of time to get experience. That's just the way it is now. Some programs are, might be different than ours, but if we did not have our summer internship program that is a voluntary position, us as a strength and conditioning department, we would be just fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. enjoy taking in those young strength coaches, developing them, keeping some of them on staff, and then equipping them even more and then launching them into their next step. So it's, I think it's important to note that for us, it's a little bit different than another program that might rely on, and we were at this point at one point D where we really needed when there was just three or four of us and that was it. We relied on having so many volunteer interns each semester so that we could be a functional strength and conditioning staff. Right now we have plenty of paid strength coaches on staff. Our summer internship program is almost like a bonus for us and for them because they get the experience we get to continue to develop young strength coaches into really good strength coaches and they get to be great ambassadors for our program but i think it's it's important to note the difference between a strength program that needs that volunteer those volunteers interns so that they can actually function as opposed to us where we're doing it for the betterment of the profession yeah i agree fully with that i if you do look back to when we first started the whole thing out, the development phase for the program was more of, hey, we need to just come in and get help and get the experience. Now it's like we look at it and it's like we're, we're just bringing you in to develop you and make you a better strength coach. From coaching on the floor, getting that experience, instead of being the intern that cleans on a daily basis and doesn't really get any coaching experience, <clears throat> they're getting that development phase here. I feel like that's a good stopping for, point for that conversation. What you got on your, your bullet points there, Jones? So, I mean, I'm kind of like thinking about how it tailors right into it, but another, a big problem that I feel like I've talked to a lot of people about recently is just my beef with the profession is sometimes with other strength coaches. So bouncing off and maybe playing devil's advocate to what we, everything we just said, I think some of the problem too is 
we talk about people becoming good coaches on the floor and all these different things and us as a strength condition strength and conditioning staff but in reality like we work in sports so if you don't like if you get into what we're doing and you don't like sports and like the process and the things that go into how do you build a team or an individual athlete and things like that if that's not what drives you i feel like you're going to struggle and i feel like there's a lot of people that do that and what it creates is strength and conditioning coaches that are maybe learn and go through a process and have a chip on their shoulder about they're really good at coaching a clean and then so what they do is they force feed a clean and what maybe that person doesn't need is a clean or a squat or whatever you or the weight room in general so that's not what i see my job as i guess i see my job as to add value and if giving someone strength and power and things like that if it's the men's soccer team that i work with for example then that's how i add value but let's say it's an in-season period and you know their load is up really really high and you know i haven't done my job to understand what value can i add how can i go out to the field how what have my relationships been like with those people um then i'm going to get pretty crappy with people about well they need to be in the weight room more and it's like well do they like and maybe the answer is yes but I don't think enough people ask that question and I think we just learn about the weight room learn about the weight room and then we just force feed the weight room and in reality it's just that's just one way to add value how do you add value I feel like is is our job um I just think that process is struggled with amongst a lot of people it was like one of the things that I said was like I feel like a lot of strength coaches are very close-minded in the fact where it's like only weight room where I think a lot of strength coaches would benefit a lot of how like you've dealt with Johan, where you learn from Johan, <clears throat> like learn about the sport of soccer. I feel like a lot of times strength coaches can complain about sport coaches, tell them they don't understand the weight room, when in fact we can learn so much from them. Like they know the sport way better than we will ever know the sport, no matter what it is, or at least most of the time. Um, and I just feel like a lot of strength coaches can become closed-minded and think the weight room is key to everything, every KPI is in the weight room, when really it's not like that at all. Does it really matter if a baseball player squats 500 or 350, if he can still hit 350? Like it doesn't, no one cares. <laughs> but the pursuit of strength might be a very yeah. important piece. Now, if that's an Olympic weightlifter or something like that, then absolutely it's mandatory. But the only mandatory for the soccer player is the dang soccer ball and you know being able to run for 90 minutes and do all that. Yes, can the weight room and things like that help it? Yes, but once again, I think even just the conversation we're having where we say the weight room, like what does that mean? Like the amount of times you watch someone do an exercise on a field and then that's okay, that's strength training, let's say. And then they go into the weight room and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa we don't need to be in the weight room, that's crazy. But they do, they could do less. They could, you could put them through less volume and intensity in those four walls, but it's just an odd terminology, I guess, for the way we're describing things. One thing I need you to stop doing is hitting the table. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it shaking the, the mic? Yeah. <laughs> people are going to know my, my passion for that sound, passion. right? Yes. You're essentially passionate. Go, oh. Yeah. They're going to be in their cars jumping. So I think, put a wrap on that. It comes back to you just can't be a strength coach. You have to, I think you started that point by saying you have to love sports. And when I first got into th this profession, I didn't love volleyball. Now I love volleyball. I love watching it. I love the, the athletic component of it. I love the different um, attributes that you've got to make sure that you're de developing within your athletes to, to develop a great volleyball player or a volleyball team. But then it's also developing relationships with uh, specifically your sport coach and making sure that you and him or her or are on the same page with what you collectively feel like the athletes need to perform their best. Sometimes it might be the weight room. Sometimes it might be less weight room. Sometimes it might be something completely different. Um, you know, Katie Poole and I were talking with some volleyball recruits this weekend, and she made a great point where, you know, right now in the season, it's late November for our volleyball team. Some of our athletes need to be in the weight room more with me. And those, some of those athletes are getting some significant playing time. Other of, other of those athletes, they need less of me and more of her where they are working on mobility or recovery or whatever it might be, but it's Katie and I and Craig being on the same page with what we all feel like each of the athletes need. And it might be a mesh of 
a little bit of everything, but it might be, you know, secular where they're not seeing me a lot, but seeing Katie a lot or vice versa. We're getting more reps on the court when they came with the coaches. That might be the, uh, the best thing that they need at the time, but communication, building relationships, um, not really settling with absolutes. And I think that's where my frustration lies with some people, strength coaches on the internet, on social media, where it's, I would never do that. I was like, you would never do that? Like ever, ever? It's a strong word. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think stay, staying off of social media helps as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And maybe that's something we realize as like working with multiple sports too, where some people just work with one sport where Sometimes you think like an absolute because you work with that one sport and then you go work with your other team for that day and you're like, oh, well, I would do it with them because that issue isn't here. So yep. that's a, probably a pro. Where do we want to move on to next? Anybody have any topics? Let's talk certifications. Ooh, talk certifications, Strobus. Well, I think, you know, this conversation kind of spurred from, again, from the fact that if you just get your CSCS, you're good to go. And, you know, in athletic training or in dietetics like you need a degree you need a license you need to be registered and things like that while you know i always get mad at my relatives when they're like oh so you're a personal trainer and i'm like well no i'm a coach it says it in my certification but i start thinking about it and i'm like this really maybe it's more intensive but i basically just got you know personal training certified and here i am coaching collegiate athletes so what is the answer and i think you've hinted at this with you know maybe it's multiple levels maybe it's some sort of tenure you know respect or things like that where what is it that shows that you are good at your profession or experienced or skilled that goes away from you know i've had my cscs for 10 years you know what's the difference there because if you look on paper you know you know peyton russell our intern just got certified with the cscs so on paper him and i are the exact same level you know i've been doing this five years longer but if we were to both give a resume to someplace what shows that I've been doing this longer or that I'm better or worse at the job? Not a whole lot. So what's the answer to that? I don't know what the answer is, but I do like it how and I, you two correct me. If you know, you probably know Gabby more than Jones, but like USA soccer, or maybe it's not even USA soccer, but you can be a level A coach or a B coach. Does it go that way? Or it goes it? the other way. So, so you start down and work your way. Okay. Towards. But if you're a, level A coach, that means that you're a really damn good coach. And you've proved that through a whatever system that they have, whether it's a written exam, a practical part, I don't know, but I do feel like that's what we need as a strength and conditioning community that needs to be led by the NSCA or the CSCCA, where it's like, all right, to just get your foot into the door, this is what you have to do. Then after you have achieved so many continuing education units or years in the field, I don't know, you're able to take a level two and that proves that you know this and then you can go from there. And I think my biggest point with that is that helps um, administrators or whoever's on the hiring committee say, we need at least a level two strength coach in this position or somebody that's at least able to qualify to sit for the level two or, hey, we need somebody with much less experience or much more experience in a level three, or maybe it is less experience, a level one. And then we can really say that this is an entry-level position, or this is a mid-level position, or this is a position where we really need somebody on board that uh, knows what they're talking about and knows what they're doing. And then I think we're able to set salary ranges based on that multi-level certification structure because my frustration with our profession is a lot of it is a fugazi fuguzi however they say it but it's like at one school you could be called the coordinator of strength and conditioning but you could maybe have that sounds a lot cooler than just saying you're assistant strength and conditioning coach if you're a coordinator ooh, but it's just made up it doesn't mean anything different or even if you have an assistant strength coach at Kentucky versus an assistant strength coach at Louisville, they could be two different positions. I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. It's like, I think the reason people are giving these fancy terms and, and titles to people is to get them that director spot, you know, at the end of the day, or the assistant director spot, because they're like, oh, it's a fancier title, so they should get more money. But there's really like, 
you have you're an assistant what's the difference between an assistant and uh, an associate what's the difference between a, a senior director and director or coordinator like Spurlock's talking about there's no salary difference between any of those the only difference that you see is probably somebody that is an assistant then going to a director spot where there's a complete difference where they're directing the entire athletic department their weight room but even with that this is something I ran into where there was a director at another school was making a heck of a lot more money than I was. And essentially on paper, looking at titles, it was, it said director of Olympic sports. Come to find out this person had a lot more responsibility than I did. So as I was trying to push for a higher salary and our, our business office got involved, they're like, well, we actually found out that so-and-so does this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. So going back to it, like a director spot at that school versus a director spot at this school, completely different. Yeah. So once again, there's no set. I wish there was, and this might be something that's more of just like a fantasy in my brain, but an assistant strength and conditioning coach, that should be the position. Or you're called, like that meant something. Or, cause some people don't even call themselves strength coaches. They're an assistant performance coach. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's frustrating because if there was an actual system, it's almost smart on strength and conditioning coaches for doing that. Like if you put, um, I use Virginia Tech where I was at, at my last stop, senior director is the equivalent to your position, whereas director is the equivalent to the associate director. So, but it's almost smart because what we're kind of complaining about it, but we know it matters. Like when I didn't get hired after I left here the first time in a full-time role, I people literally told me, well, you need the experience and you need this. And it, so the next stop I was at was another professional internship. And a piece of what I talked about with my boss there was changing it to a part-time assistant, which is such a silly, like the position job duties don't change at all, but it obviously matters if, if we're sitting there banging our heads against it and saying, well, how can we make this weird name change that literally isn't, it doesn't mean anything, but whatever I can put on my resume that matches the website of the university I work at. And then people look at it and go, oh, it's a part-time assistant, not a, not a professional intern. That's better. And it's, it's not. There's probably professional internships that had far more responsibilities, just like you're saying, than I did. So I don't know who makes the structure. We're just, we're, yeah. I, th I think that's got to come from one of the national organizations it's got to come from the NSCA or come from the CACCA and saying as college strength coaches, this is what a model should look like. Mm -hmm. Going Maybe back to the example that you're using with soccer, I don't know exactly the specifics, but there is like an ABC and there is part of it where you have to have, like I know you have to have your D for a certain amount of time before you can take your C, but there's also a practical part. And I know as you get to the higher levels, like you either have to record yourself coaching a session or you'll have to like have someone come and watch. So is there like some sort of structure that you can have here where it's you have to have your CSCS for a certain amount of time before you can take the next step, but you have to have like, like you mentioned, the continuing education and kind of all of those things that go along with it. I know the NSCA has their new like sports performance specialist, the CPSS, that I um, sat for and took, and I had to... That you passed? I did pass it. Um, <laughs> uh, but you have to have your master's. I had to prove that I had a certain amount of full-time experience um, before I could even sit for it. There were different requirements. If you just had your bachelor's, um, you had to have like more time of experience, and it had to be in a related field. And then if you had your PhD, it was a different set of requirements. Um, so I think they are trying to go that way, but there's still no real standardization in terms of kind of where that lands. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like, you know, I, I don't want to start negative saying this, but it's like the master's degree has become this token of experience where it's like, you know, we talked about, oh, like you got to go through your internship. You graduate, you go through your internship, maybe you become a GA, then you have your master's degree. Then you can start applying for full-time jobs. And, you know, maybe you just went and got your master's degree and then you decided to get certified and then you have no experience, but on paper you are just as qualified as anyone else. And so, there's got to be that sort of, you know, how do we show skill, experience, value the same way that maybe it's just on paper. Maybe it becomes the alphabet soup that my dad jokes about after all of our names, you know, CSCS, USAW, BS, MS, whatever it is. Like what's what sets us apart 
is always on paper and it's never like seen. You don't get to sit in front of a panel like maybe for the CSCCA. And even if you do, again, you just end up with some letters after your name. So mm -hmm. there's got to be something that shows, hey, I've been doing this and I know what I'm talking about. And it's, it's hard to do. You feel, you feel for the people that have all of those different certifications, you know, like under or behind their name, where it's like, hey, you got a master's, you've got your USAW, you got your CSCCA, uh, you've got your CSCCS, or CSCS um, and you can keep going along and you're like, great, they spent all that money, but you're not getting compensated for you having 20 different certifications behind your name. Yeah. Um, and you do feel for those people because they spent thousands of dollars on that, um, but you're not compensated for it. Because, you know, I can, you can become a doctor tomorrow. We can go to school. We get our school paid for here. It's like getting our master's degree, you know, exactly. and maybe I want to go after my doctor's degree. Well, that ain't going to help me at all, you know, because there's no, there's no level up at all. But it's almost like that's where, like, the void of where there isn't ways to show that you're skilled or experienced in something is where all those, like, side certifications have come, like where you can get... USA soccer certified or I can get USA track and field certified and I, again we add letters after the name but it's like with the void of not being able to show that we've done this or that we're good at this has just become where other companies have taken advantage we talk about why is there so many certifications well because it's a way for them to make money say hey they took our course yes we gave them these letters after the name or we gave them this knowledge they paid us and again like D said like great you paid for those courses and you got it but how much are you actually doing with it I think that's another topic flip this guy around but that's another topic where whether it is usaw or a tpi or non-base u or rpr all of it just comes down to people making money and we say certification but the cscs and the cscca certification the scc those are certifications accredited by a national organization not something that was a weekend course mm -hmm. that there is no continuing education or requirements that you have to do to maintain that um that i don't know well i'll call it a certification that certification and i think that's the one of the problems in our profession as well is that we say certification for tpi and we also say certification for cscs <clears throat> one of them is accredited one of them you just had to pay a lot of money to do and go somewhere for a weekend trip because uh, the TPI course that I took was, it was under 50 questions, definitely under, maybe 20, 25, open book. And you just had to, you had to get like 70 or 80%. And if you didn't get it the first time, guess what? You got to take it again. <laughs> yep. But we call that a certification. And then we also call the CSCS a certification as well. One of these things is not like the other. And it comes back to us as strength coaches as being innovative people. So let's go off of that. It's like uh, for me becoming on-base U certified, that's great, you know, and I've heard of other people becoming on-base U certified. And then they run those assessments on athletes to make extra money, you know. And again, when you're struggling for having an accredited, you know, certification or you have one, but you still get no, you don't get compensated for it this is our lives of being innovative people. And that's who strength coaches are. You, you, you go around the country and you ask certain people, what do they have for a side gig? Or what do they have is we, we talk about like, what would be our plan B if we didn't, weren't a strength coach? Well, they already have a plan B going on. And if you talk to a lot of people that because we're innovative, we've come with limited resources our entire career. And we've always been kind of the bottom, you know, of the barrel when it comes to a profession. And this is our way of being innovative people and, and coming up with new jobs and trying to make extra cash. But it be, it's like a whole 180 to the first problem we talked about, <laughs> where it's just kind of like you just highlighted it, where it's if that on base you isn't like it's almost as if we work in sports and if it, you're a head sports coach, like you don't need certifications and all this. It's either your resume is your wins and losses and things like that. Do you have a good program? And mm -hmm. we don't have that. So it's almost like you're at the mercy of whether there's wins or losses you could have a losing program and we could still be doing our job pretty well or we could have a winning baseball program and strength conditioning coach could be you know doing horribly but that coach just knows he's doing horribly so he says you're cut off from the ability that you're going to have with my job. players mm -hmm. so 
it's just like we're finding a way to like how do you identify whether you're a good or bad strength coach is, is pretty much it and and then you realize well we have we do have skills but if once again we're working in sports and the coach or you know sport you're working with doesn't see your skill as useful well now you're finding ways where it's like well these people do and they'll pay me for it so why would i go you know it, it just all kind of ties into it it does it would help if you had that structure in place because it's really just trying to like put you know quantify you're trying to quantify the qualitative data you know a lot of what we do is the soft things of okay maybe people got hurt less or maybe they perform better or anything like that like Brent was just saying it's trying to find ways to show value or experience or skill and right now there really isn't a tried and true method to do that and it, it differs job to job. A coach could not care if people were getting hurt or not, or they couldn't care about what their squat numbers are in the weight room, while some of their coaches might. So it's, again, it's program to program, school to school, and it's going to be coach to coach on what they do differently. You definitely got to get creative. Like, that's a good point you just made of, like, I think probably 20 or 30 years ago, it, it probably was as simple as, look, they used to squat. 300 pounds, I got them to squat 400, they just did it. And now I think people are like, well, there's a little more to it than that. And so now it's like, but that was easy to show on this piece of paper, you know? So it's just, how do we get creative with showing that worth? And obviously there's tons of ways, but. I think, come, of, I think a lot of like things come down to like what we haven't talked about is like the people you know, like it's like that in all sports, whether it's strength conditioning, whether it's football, basketball. If you know someone, you can at least get an interview a lot of the time. It comes down to that in every aspect of sports, not like especially in our field too. Like that's one way to actually quantify our qualitative data is to have someone come and someone who's respected come and back you up and say they did a good job with me. Like you should tr like at least give them a shot at this job. Yeah. I think that's one way that like we haven't really talked about. It might not be on paper, but that's definitely how most people get their jobs in the sports field. What else we got? I think the – I want to bring up the topic of how you're valued between being support staff and part of the coaching staff. So it's – I think that's where we get is, okay, how are you valued by your sport coach? Are you considered an extension of your coaching staff? Okay, being a strength conditioning coach, you are considered a coach or performance coach or however we want to say it. Uh, then you have, nope, you're part of the support staff. Okay, so I guess if you're put in that category of support staff, there's already a degree there that you're a step below a coach. And I think we we would all say here in this room that like we do feel like we're an extension of our coaching staff based off of how you're valued from that, that sport coach and that coaching staff. Uh, and I think moving forward with that is, I guess it comes down to who we are as people um, how, how do we go? How, what is our communication like? Because if your communication is awful, then you're not valued very high with your sport coach and that coaching staff. If your communication is really good and you've got buy-in from the coaching staff, they're going to bring you in as an extension, but that's them saying that. On paper, you're still considered the support staff. I think there's that can definitely get a conversation going. I just wanted to get that rolling here for everybody. And I think that's very hard for like us to do in Olympic sports because of time constraints. Like for someone who works with football, even who's out there out like every single day because that's their only sport and they can be at practice all the time, you're all, you are looked at as an extent, extension of the coach. But for like the sports we work with where we see them maybe three times a week, it's not seen the same way, especially if you're not seeing your coach face to face more than maybe once, twice every couple weeks. I think it's harder for them to then see you as an equal to them mm -hmm. if you're not with them all the time. And like they, they think they put in all the work for that one team and you're not putting in all that work for that one team or at least in their eyes not as much as them. So therefore they don't see you as equal to that staff. So then mm -hmm. your support staff, just like the tutors are, just like the academic, the dietitians, everyone who has multiple teams then. So the, dif the difference between a single sport and a multi-sport Yeah, I think, that's the, I think that's what it comes down to because you yeah. can only, you can't be at everything at once. So you can, some people can pick their team and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to be with the soccer team and maybe like not care as much about the silly team that I have. And then like you are seen as a coach, but uh, like then you're not do, giving your all to that one other team. So that's like, I think one problem with that. I want to jump in on that because I think 
us three were talking, Jones, Gabby, and I were talking about this, but it's when you do have multiple sports, you just you might not be able to be at every single practice. Let's, let's just take you have three sports. You're not going to be able to go to soccer practice and rifle practice and swim practice and do all that on the same day and still do what you need to do in the weight room and everything else that we have going on with our staff, whether that's, you know, some sort of the part of the like the CA um, development program. But I do think it does come down to you making sure that you're intentional with your time. And when you do need to spend more time with your soccer team, that you're intentional with that. And, you know, your soccer season just ended yesterday, but now, hey, this will be good time for Jones to really dive into swim and rifle a little bit more. Um, so I, I, I do think you can kind of have the best of both worlds, but it does take a lot of intentional thought and organization on your part to make sure that you are dialing into the team that you need to dial into at that point in the academic year or uh, whatever part of the year season that you are in. Do you think uh, it's been like different for you since moving from like having women's basketball and volleyball to just volleyball then? think you're looked at differently with volleyball absolutely well, i mean because priority wise it was when i had three sports and i had women's basketball volleyball and men's soccer and this is a note that i wrote down it really came back to the expectations that the head coach had for me with that team so the at that time women's basketball expected the most out of me i needed to be at every practice um, I needed to be at staff meetings. I needed to be, um, you know, participating in extra workouts that the players were doing. Volleyball's expectation for me was to be the best strength coach I could be, where if I, I maybe traveled with them once a year, um, and then men's soccer was probably the lowest expectation where we might lift two times a week during the off season. And then during the end season, we had one on-field lift that the Johan would even tell me, hey, if you can't make it, write up the lift, email it to me or text it to me, and then I'll take the team through it. So it came back to those expectations. Not what I, was I meeting each one of those? Absolutely. But if each of them had the expectation for me that women's basketball did, then that was going to be a job that I probably could not accomplish that I wouldn't be able to check that box at the end of the day saying, yes, I've met the expectations of my head coach. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I had written. I'm trying to find a way to like tailor it into that, but like, it's all, it's, look at your list. it's all, yeah, right. <laughs> it's all perception. So yeah. like, I think that's one of the biggest things I've struggled with. Like I've owned, I, I accepted this job nine months ago or so. And it's, who whose voices are you listening to has been a struggle because it's like everyone seems to have an opinion on you know where you're at so if women's basketball was the biggest thing well what did the random person you were good with johan told you that but was the random person over at soccer the assistant coach or this person you know where well, well, spurlock's not around and it's like okay who who i guess Put it That's bluntly, hard to do. who matters? Yeah. And in reality, what I've tried to do is like, am I good with my head coach? Am I good with you as my boss? Um, are the athletes? That's probably first and foremost. Like, do they feel that you're like providing for them? Sorry, I'm tapping the table again. Um, if you guys keep hearing that, that's Jones yeah, tapping the table. Again. That's it. I'm speak. I speak <laughs> with my hands. Um, so it's just that's been a hard thing to identify. But let me ask that to the room, like. Do you guys feel that same thing that Jones is talking about where it's like, hey, I feel like I'm good with my head coach, but maybe there's an assistant coach or somebody else on the support staff that might feel like I'm not – that I'm living up – not living up to their expectations, but I don't know what their expectations are. But yeah, like, do you worry about what people, I guess, are saying behind your back or maybe even to your face? I don't, I don't know. I worry. I worry about it. Uh, not, not so much with like gymnastics, but like the sport of baseball has become so like it's baseball. Like you should be here 24 seven for baseball. But it's like when you do have multiple sports like softball, I worry about 
are the coaches saying anything about like, well, I wish he was giving more to my program, you know? And I do, I think about that every day, you know, as that's just because I, I love all of my sports. It's not like, oh, I have more love for another and you know, yeah. less for another. I'm equal across the board and all my student athletes know that. But I think from a sport coach standpoint, they, they expect you to be there. I think they feel like I am expected to be there 24 seven for them. The baseball team? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say for baseball. And then for softball, it's like, I, there's probably some of that that has been talked about. Like, I wish D was here more. Cause I hear it from my student athletes. Like the girls will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I, hey, I wish you would come over to practice more. You know, I wish you were there. You bring a new energy to our practice. It gets kind of dull sometimes, you know? Uh, but I try to go over as much as I can. If I can go twice a week, I feel like that's enough, but it's still to them, is it enough? Because they see me go to baseball 24 um, seven. So that, that's probably the one thing that eats at me probably the most, you know, so. Any other thoughts on that? It's tough. I think the biggest thing is, is to be on the same page with your head coach understanding what is the saying what other people think about you is none of your business yeah I, I think that easier said than done i don't like it when people don't think i'm doing a good job but you can't please everybody you can't live up to everybody's expectations you got to set your expectations for yourself make sure you're in line with your boss and uh, the head coaches that you work with and then that's all you can do but I think that I guess what you just said there sums it up. But it's like, what is your process of who you identify or like what voices do matter? Because we all know someone that like they don't like they have that opinion of like, well, I know I'm doing my job. And it's like, are you like I don't or is ever you know, there's there's people like that out there. Like and so it's just making sure you have good self-awareness of no, 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 I don't need to listen to this voice. I am taking care of business here and I can back that up. And. So can the people in my corner. So it's just, it's a hard process, but that's, that's the job. Too. And I think it's, and I talk about this, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's hard to do as a young strength coach, especially when D and I were young assistant coaches, because it wasn't, we had three teams. We had like five or six yeah. and we were never going to. Oh, yo, yo, you you never went to practice. We didn't have time. And I think one thing that clicked for me, and it was a women's soccer player that told me at the time where she, no, I take that back. It was a men's tennis player that I, that gave me a hard time. (laughs) He was one of the ones that I struggled with that was in the weight room, always seemed like he was goofing off. But it was as he became a junior or a senior, and I forget the context of the conversation, but he just looked at me and goes, you have been the most consistent person here since I've been on campus. And I'm like, oh shit, like that actually means a lot to me. Like, I'm glad I am not going through these ups and downs. I know that, you know, I've been hard on you and I've held you accountable, but him saying that I was just like, even though I rarely ever went to practice, I never traveled with that team. It was still him being, having the thought that like, hey Spurlock, if he says he's gonna be there at three o'clock on a Tuesday, he's always gonna be there at three o'clock on the Tuesday. Never canceled on them, never had the, it made them move their lift time because of something else that was going on with my schedule. But I, I think it is hard for a young strength coach to get to the point where possibly like where D and I are because we're more mature. We've established those relationships. We've had the same head coaches for quite a while now um, so that we know those expectations. We, we were able to lead ourselves, but as young strength coaches and even you two coming into these new positions, um, it's hard at first, but it gets easier. I also think that opens up like another, maybe it's an issue or just something I see people fight about a lot is maybe what D just brought up where the profession is growing a little bit where 10 years ago when you guys said you had only three, four people on the staff and so you worked with all these sports. Well, some of that is like, now the expectation is more because the profession has grown and now there is basketball only strength coaches and football obviously is off on their own and now it's baseball is only on their own so your head coaches hear about maybe another university where it's just a baseball guy mm-hmm. and they're like why can't you do that and it's like well that's not how it works here keeping up with the joneses so that's what they're trying to do so then within our strength conditioning profession i feel like we fight over like oh well some people say 
you know, D3 isn't as good. And then D3 people are like, well, they have a chip because like we work all day and I have all these teams and it's just like a competition. And it's like, it's not a competition. It's just, they're different jobs. Like that's like saying personal trainer versus D3 strength coach versus highest level football strength coach. It is literally a different job. So you can, you can't say, well, I came from D3 and I worked with 10 sports all day and then say, this job's easy because you only work with one. It's like, it's literally a different job. Like you have to be out of practice and do these things. And then you can't go down then to D3 and say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're not, there's nothing specific here. It's like, well, yeah, they got 10 teams. Like it, it needs to be pretty general. So <laughs> it's a different job and don't fight with each other. Just understand what your interests are and what job maybe aligns with what will get satisfaction out of you. I'm going to move on to something a little bit different, but that's somewhat of a good segue. And I just wrote this down and I know I've talked to D about this, but it was, I think it was even during the pandemic when me, you, BMAC and Wood had this conversation. But one thing I fear for our profession, especially on like the division three side or the Olympic sports side, not football or men's basketball or even women's basketball, but one thing we have to realize is there's not a sport that we work with that brings in money for the university. I'm not in the business office, but I think the best thing that volleyball could probably ever do was if they were to break even somehow. I think, uh, you know, football's king, whatever money football brings in, that's what everybody else is living off of. But what I fear for our profession is that there are apps out there, Peloton, Apple Fitness, that if they, one thing about their product is it is fitness. It is working out. It's not training. You're not training for anything. You're working out when you're following one of those apps or one of those workouts. But if one of those companies got into the sports performance, strength and conditioning business, and there was a app that's in a program that all you had to do was buy a Peloton per, uh, subscription, put it in a room that you have for the weight room, and the athletes would come in, click the iPad, and that app would take them through their workout and show them what they had to do. Week about a 12-week program, whatever it is. That would replace the need for us as strength coaches. I think... Uh... Or they would be limited number of strength coaches. Instead of 10 of us, there would be you know, four of us, because somebody's got to supervise. What are you going to say? One thing, like, one of my men's golfers told me about this morning, is he has a friend who goes, I can't remember the school he told me, but the school, he is a golfer at that school, and instead of having a strength coach for the golf team, they pay a private facility in town, and they just go sign in at the private facility, they get a one-on-one -on -one training session, and that's their strength conditioning. So instead of paying a strength coach or having to have a strength coach there, they get to have that one-on-one -on -one training facility, like training environment in that special training facility off campus. And then it's like in their whatever they have teamworks thing and it's like logged as hours and everything and they log it each week i think even closer to kind of what you were talking about with like the app like we i've used elite form before and i can put a whole workout in there and it can track your bar speed it can do everything for you i could sit in the office and program for another team and i would get i wouldn't get to see any of the reps like visually or be able to coach anything but you would see if they did it or not yeah i could yep. make sure i could see their bar speed i could do everything their whole workout could be on there so you could run a whole department pretty much with two or three coaches just making sure everything's in there and seeing have fun i think if you lost if you lost the eye of the strength coach and you were using an app or like a peloton like spurlock was talking about i think eventually we would it would roll back around to needing strength coaches again i think it would be short-lived due to the fact of from a safety aspect from staying injury free like I, when we look at it and we look at our orientation process and we ask our student athletes to go through 16 sessions for an orientation when we have athletes come in here it's like they haven't done anything and could you imagine giving them an app or a peloton and say hey go ahead and just do it you know my thought being is that whatever would be on this app would be something that could be done with little to no instruction or teaching like, hey, or maybe even part of the app is like, we're going to teach you how to squat. This is what you need to do. And I don't think it, it definitely would not be good for the sport or the athlete. Yeah. But when it comes down to money, yeah, 
I think you're going to not not the University of Kentucky, but other schools, maybe mid majors, trying to pinch some pennies. Hey, let's just hire two strength coaches to work with the ten Olympic sports, and then we're going to get this app or the elite form, and they can do it. But the athletes are coming in on their own. And that's teach like one of the sport coaches like how to run it almost like they come in teach them how to run the group and then move on from there. Well, it's like D three. Let's go back exactly. to the D three. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you said about that, like that was on a whiteboard. You'd had these small teams. You you had you know two strength coaches and a couple interns at D three, and you had you know thirty five teams. And it was like, all right, I'm going to draw this workout up on the whiteboard and that team's coming in and they're going to follow the whiteboard. You know, that was before apps happened or, you know, Pelotons happened. And that, that's why I say like the point from before about it's about adding value and that ability to teach a squat is is so minimal, in my opinion, in what we do, it, or at least in what I personally believe. Like if you were to ask my head coaches what value I add, I don't think they would ever get to, well, he just teaches the squat so well. I really don't think that's what they'd say. And I kind of take pride in that. Like, it's the relationships and your ability to lead a group and develop people and not like just physically. So I just take Rifle, for example. Like, I talk to coach, the head coach all the time, Harry, and he's he's very aware. Like, the first question I get when I say I work with Rifle is like, well, what do you shrink train their trigger finger blah 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 <laughs> and it's like he's very aware that like if i improve their squat you know one rm that's not going to make them better rifle you know athletes but he is he sees our department as extremely valuable because we teach them consistency and we give them confidence and you teach them about things that in hand and like in another way are going to make them better at their sport so I think it's really, really important to make sure you understand what value you're adding. Because if not, then yeah, that app will replace you. But personally, like I, at least for the people sitting in this room, I don't think that app would replace any of you guys. And I think that's the, why we are good at our jobs. If not, then yeah, you kind of screwed yourself a little bit. I think the thing that I immediately think of too when we talk about apps is losing that relationship piece, kind of like you mentioned, but then is it that you can come in kind of whenever you want, you lose even training as a team. And I think that's one of the biggest things here is like we train our teams as teams. So does that kind of go away if we get an app and like you can come in at 10 or you can come in at three and it doesn't really matter because I don't necessarily need to be there. But then the whole team isn't there and you lose that atmosphere of being as a team, all of kind of that at like that bonding and like camaraderie that comes with team lifts and like growing as a group and the discipline and everything that goes along with that. I think you lose that too if you kind of lose strength coaches and those relationships that we build. No, I agree 100%. I I, I, my fear is that it comes down to a money issue where it's, yeah. it's we have all these other expenses that are piling up and it comes back to people viewing our profession and what we do as it's other people's hobbies. People like working out, people like lifting weights. And if somebody is super strong and they're good at lifting weights, they that does not mean that they could be a good strength coach. But I, I like what I just wrote down as well is what Joan says and, and what Gabby, you were reiterating, it's the lessons that you learn in the weight room and the value that you add, whether that's being consistent for your athletes, whether that's the leadership direction that that you um, that you provide to them. But I also feel like that's something that holds our profession back sometimes because there are too many people, head coaches uh, or administrators that only see that. Is that guy uh, a very good leader, but he might be a crappy strength coach with programming? That, that's why I do think <clears throat> When a strength and conditioning major is made, there's so many different components that have to go into it. There's a sports science side, there's a biomechanics side, there's the leadership side, there's all those things that you need to be teaching your athletes in the weight room. Um, but I think it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it definitely is. But it's almost like I mean, you tie it to strength and conditioning coach and what Dee said, support staff versus you on the coaching staff. It's like, if you wanna be considered on that coaching staff then put yourself through the same process of like how do they 
create value. And I promise if it's baseball, there's a lot of people that would not be very good head coaches that can teach someone how to throw a baseball and get oh. them a lot better. So it's just like if you want to be seen as not that person that's not a head coach, but they can teach it so well, then your only skill better not be in the weight room. It better be about how do you lead groups of athletes? Mm -hmm. How do you – that almost should trump it. Um, but – Nobody sees that stuff behind the scenes. But the coaches, that, but that's why I think going back to Gibby's point of like you need people to sell you. Where if that app came out tomorrow and you know they said, oh, money wise, we're cutting the strength conditioning coach, and you work with a coach and have done your due diligence to say, well, we'll call his position something else because I need that person in my program because this will not be the same mm -hmm. without that person's leadership. Then that's how. But if you know that. I think that's that's on the coach, like the strength conditioning coach, to make sure once again they're providing value. Otherwise, yep. yeah, that app replaces you. And yep. I don't really. When think you that's said that place. earlier, that's what I brought up the conversation about. You know, are you a support staff or an extension of the coaching staff because of the value? Yeah. You know, and in a sense, a little bit of both, right? Yeah, we that's have right. Outside skill, yeah, yeah. but yeah. You Awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody circling around this conference table and sharing the mic with me. But we'll call it there right at an hour. Appreciate you guys. Everybody say go Cats on three. One, two, three. Go Cats! Go cats!